Kia ora and welcome to the Kerry Podcast, where we highlight research that weaves together the Word of God in Scripture, the world in which we live, and the work of Christian discipleship. We invite you to join us as we explore ways in which we can live, serve, and witness with Jesus in our constantly changing world. Kia ora koutou, ko Michael Rose, tako ingwa. I am the lecturer in Old Testament here at Cary Baptist College, and I'm excited to be interviewing a Cary alum, Joy Sweeney, currently the youth pastor at Waikanae Baptist Church, here on this episode of the Word World Work podcast. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation with Joy. I particularly enjoyed the way that Joy not only points out some problems with this thing called purity culture that we've had in the church, but also shows how purity culture has caused us to misread the David and Bathsheba story and how if we read the David and Bathsheba story correctly, it can maybe begin to show us a way forward out of some of our problematic ways of thinking about purity culture. A bit of a warning, this episode will talk about issues of sexual violence in relationship to contemporary uh, victims in the church, as well as in the David and Bathsheba story. So please be aware of that. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and we'll jump right in. Great. So we are here today on the podcast, uh, the Word World Work podcast, where we talk about how um, God's word in scripture and our study of the world that we live in uh, help us imagine what it looks like to faithfully work as citizens of God's kingdom in God's world. Yeah, as followers of Jesus. And here at Cary, uh, in the third year of our undergraduate program, students do an integrative project where they pick a topic and they look at it through that word, work, world lens. So uh, I had the opportunity of working with Joy on her integrative project. So Joy, maybe we can start out by you telling us a bit about your integrative project. What did you look at? What was the question that you chose? And um, how, how did you get there? Why were you interested in that particular topic? Um, yep. So I chose... My title of my integrator project was Seeking Justice for the Damage of Purity Culture mm. with the particular lens of women who've experienced sexual abuse. Um, yeah, and how I got there, I initially, I remember walking into that class, I kind of had an inkling I wanted to talk about purity culture mm. and sexual teachings. And yeah, I think when I walked into it, I wanted, like, what's, what's a healthy sexual teaching because with purity culture like there was a lot of teachings I didn't agree with but I believed with the heartbeat of healthy sexual purity mm. so I was like well this may not be it but what is what is it um what is a healthy sexual teaching of sexual purity um which you pointed out was too big <laughs> of a topic to fit in <laughs> just a tiny integrative that I needed to narrow it down and so part of that journey for me of narrowing it down is I got some sexual purity books yeah, out that the ones talking against it, like talking back to sexual purity church too, mm. got those books out and was just talking with different people about, you know, this is my research, this is what I'm doing. And as I did that, there was a really big shift mm. in my own thinking. And I think I realized that women are still hurting mm. from purity culture. 
I felt no longer that I couldn't go, well, purity culture is not great. Here's a good teaching. I felt the need to actually tend to the wounds Mm. that are still going around and that these teachings are still getting passed around. Like we may not be hearing it from the pulpit, Mm. but from other people that's still getting passed around. Um, even for me, I was I picked up as a teenager these books. You know, it wasn't given to me as a, from a youth pastor or anything, but I found these purity culture books in my hand being passed on to me. Mm. So, yeah, I really felt this need to start five steps back and actually do this deconstructive work into deconstructing what these damaging messages are. And to me, the heartbeat of seeking justice for these women who are still hurting, mm. who had this burden of a sexual assault that was worsened by purity culture. Mm. Um, Yeah, I felt the need to do something about it. Yeah. Oh, that's very helpful, Joy. So I'm hearing you say you were interested in uh, sort of a positive approach to sexual purity. Mm. But as you dug into this thing called purity culture, you realized that the first step was really to continue undoing clearing the ground of these problematic teachings. Uh, for those who may not be familiar, is there a, how, how do you define or how do you understand purity culture? Or are there particular ideas or, or books that are, are features of what you understand purity culture to be? Oh, purity culture is such a wide <laughs> topic in its own world, mm. um, you could say. But for me, what particularly stood out with this idea of purity culture and like the books is a subculture within it which is modesty culture and this is far more of you know this idea of women dressing modestly and that women should dress modestly to so they won't be the reason men lust Mm. after them so that's particularly where I focused on Mm. so the purity culture there's so many things there's teachings around broken bays like this is what happens after sex there's so many Mm. different aspects but what I really focused on was far more this idea of modesty culture and this idea and concept that women are in a way responsible of male sexual purity that it's what they wear their bodies Mm. that could cause a man to stumble and that we're responsible for what we choose in our outfits to make sure that they don't you know, stumble, mm. Mm. as it's, as you could say. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a bit more about how you went about your your research around this topic of purity culture, modesty culture, and then sort of, you know, what, what you found about, about how those teachings are taught, about the impact that they have. But also tell us a bit about how you brought this into the conversation with the Bible. Mm. So... What I initially started doing is I got purity culture books out. So I got, you know, The Bride Wall White and other ones like that, the real famous ones, um, Kiss Dating Goodbye. Mm. So I got the books out and I read through them to see what themes that I found, Mm. what messages were quite dominant, and also got some other books out, um, Church 2, talking back to purity culture, where people are already pushing back and saying what's not good about it, what's damaging. So I looked into that. And yeah, was horrified at times some of the lines that I was um, reading saying, I mean, one just stayed in my mind that, you know, what a woman chooses to wear could be the explosive energy to make a man lust after her, you know, as saying that that was putting, you know, the blame on what she chose, not 
on his responsibility. Mm. And from that, and I got particularly concerned because I was reading these with this lens of women who have experienced sexual assault. Mm. So whenever I was reading these books, I was hearing it from this lens, if you will, of what would, if I was reading this, having experienced sexual abuse, what am I hearing? Mm. And, you know, it's so common for women after, you know, to have this question of it wasn't my fault. Mm. What could I have done differently? And it felt that these books were not that comforting (laughs) voice of it wasn't your fault, but actually laying an extra burden that it was their Mm. fault, Um, which led me to scripture, Mm. which is a good place to go. Um, I found myself in the David and Bathsheba narrative Mm. where (laughs) Bathsheba is um, bathing and David sees her, he calls for her and has sex with her. And I found myself there because I was reading one of the, um, I think I was talking back to purity culture. And if I remember correctly, you know, she talks about Bathsheba as a victim. And I remember just stopping Mm. and going, why have I never heard this Mm. perspective? For me, um, I always, in my own view, saw Bathsheba as a seductress. Mm. You know, any um, paintings, you know, she was portrayed as being quite seductive Mm. and I always what I thought about I was like okay these two people had an affair yes you know it was adultery that's what it was Mm. I never saw it in any way as her being a victim of rape Mm. you know and that felt like a really big word and some of my confusion around it was you know got these other things in scripture of Dina and Tama where in my English translation they use the word rape so I was like you know is that fair was kind of my question and then my question of going to it was is this idea that I read in these purity culture books of women being responsible for male purity like is this is this true Mm. is this accurate Mm. so my first question was in doing this was you know is she a victim or is she a seductress Mm. you know in my own research and to kind of find that out well, my first question was, how can there be two radically different interpretations? Right, you know, right. how is that even a thing? Mm. Um, and you read through it, it's like three verses, and it's very matter-of-fact. There's no psychological insight to mm. David or Bathsheba. It's just, you know, she's bathing, he saw her bathing, calls for her, takes her, he sleeps with her. Mm. In that sm- small part of the narrative. So I found myself asking like questions like, you know, what does it mean for her to be bathing? Was this, you know, something seductive behind it or not? So, you know, in my modern day lens, bathing, you know, outside or being seen (laughs) bathing, that's that's not something we do in our culture. If you you get seen bathing here in our culture, you may have, uh, that might be your fault. You know, it's easy to bathe without being seen for the most part. Yeah, so I came out with this, you know, lens yeah. that I've got a bath that's very hidden yes. in my own house. Um, but in their culture, you know, lots of Israelites didn't actually have plumbing mm. like we do. It wasn't abnormal to have it outside in the courtyard mm. or to have um, be in public. But even with that, if it was in public, I read that she would have washed without robing. Mm. So even this idea that, was she even naked? Right. We don't know. 
Because that would be really weird if I went to the bath and didn't take my clothes right. off in a private area, but it wouldn't have been unusual for them. What's... So that was something I found quite insightful. Well, it's so fascinating what you're talking about, Joy, because, you know, from Old Testament scholars who talk about reading biblical narratives, part of the art of the story is that it leaves these gaps. You know, lots of scholars are talking about mm. how these gaps in the literature. And I know you looked at this and the way that we as readers, part of what makes the story engaging, part of the way that we're brought into the story is that we are filling the gaps. But it sounds like with that example, you're pointing to how our distance from their culture might make us fill in gaps in the wrong way, right? Like, why are you bathing outside? Why do you, you know, assuming that she's naked, both of those might be gap fillings that we might do that are inappropriate based on the ancient context of the story. Was there other stuff that you found out in that as you lingered over the, tell us some more about David and Bathsheba as you studied that text. Um, Yeah. So another thing, so for me, that bathroom was a huge Mm. one or even noticing, you know, um, that the reason for bathing for her was that it was a ritual because she just had a period. Mm. So even that was, you know, a little hint that what she was doing was, you know, a woman going, doing something very practical, Mm. which kind of, to me, hinted against this idea of it being a seductive act, something that was planned to be seen as far more a woman going, doing something um, that was very normal in her everyday life. And even part of kind of the ritual cleansing, right? Like even presumably following the laws about ritual cleansing. So that would that would put yeah. Bathsheba in our minds in sort of a different light than someone who's out, you know, exposing herself or seducing someone or that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. And the other is really interesting is who takes initiative. Mm. You know, it's David who's the one who, you know, sees her and he sends for her mm. and lies with her. You know, it's all it's his initiative to do all of these things. Mm. You know, she goes willingly, but he's the one who's taking the initiative. Yeah. So even in that, that's a hit. Yes. Um, but, you know, you could still debate that she went willingly and maybe she didn't initiate it, but enjoyed the ride. So mm. it's a hint, but it doesn't give us the full picture. So in other words, you're saying that the fact that all of the action verbs are attributed to him would be a mm. clue Um against reading Bathsheba as initiating or whatever, um, while yeah. there still remains some ambiguity. For sure. Mm, um, the thing that probably, to me, was the crucial how could we see Bathsheba as a seductress is after the fact, when the prophet Nathan comes and talks to David, you know, mm. and it's God talking to David through the prophet Nathan, that Bathsheba is described as a stolen lamb and all of the, you know, punishment and the condemnation mm. is, you know, he uses masculine pronouns. Mm. So it's all directed at David. There is nothing to hint that, you know, Bathsheba was in it. Mm. You know, she wasn't an equal one who cheated on her husband to have sex with the king. Mm. That's not in there. It's all that... David took the initiative. He's the one who did this. And she is the stolen lamb Mm. who is affected by this. And even in reading that, um, I read these other scholars who 
were arguing that Bathsheba was a seductress. You know, I found myself reading those papers mm. and some would argue in that, but Bathsheba loses her son after this. You know, that's God punishing her. Mm. But, you know, you read others that it's very, it's very common that if a king isn't listening to God and acts unjustly that, you know, his subjects, they bear the consequences yes. of the king's actions. And so actually that's a really harmful thing to read into that just because mm. she bears a consequence that she was in on it in any way or that she is equally guilty is just an even worse consequence and pain of someone else's action that she has to bear. So that I mean, to me, that's really fascinating what you just pointed out there. On the one hand, for you, it feels like the parable clears up the ambiguity. Obviously, the Bible and a prophet knows the difference between an affair where there are two guilty parties and mm. rape or abuse where there's one guilty party. And mm. so while there's ambiguity maybe in the initial story, you know, then at the end, the thing that David did, that David did displeased the Lord. Mm. And then the prophetic parable, all of those place all the blame on, on mm. David. And so on the one hand, you've got strong reasons to, reject the Bathsheba's the seductress view. But on the other hand, the other thing I'm hearing you say, which I think is really poignant, is that the loss of the son, which affects Bathsheba, is just the way it often happens. That when the king or the powerful sin, that other people also suffer. And that seems to be, I mean, we know that's true from our own lives in all sorts of areas. Um, I mean, that's really fascinating. Uh, not, not, it is fascinating. It's also scary to think about, you know, how we we might miss those clues and continue to put blame on on Bathsheba. Mm. Well, I think was really interesting because you know there are so many like psychological gaps and things, yes. and how often you know, and some people you know when I was reading their work felt like they were really fighting to minimize what David mm. had done. And even in myself, when I first read it, that David, and with this idea that David raped Bathsheba, it made me uncomfortable because in reading the scriptures, you know, you see David as this man after God's own heart. Mm. And he goes and does this horrible act that he rapes this woman mm. and, you know, goes off to do more not great things with, you know, sending off her husband to then die. Yes. And... I found it really fascinating how there's this real temptation to minimize it to protect David's integrity in some mm. ways, maybe. But that there's really hard to understand how could a man after God's own heart actually do such a terrible wrong. But I think we need to wrestle with that, you know, how God can use someone who's done these awful things and do great things to sit in that tension, not try to minimize the damage um, I found that yes. really interesting in my study as well that, I, to really wrestle with that. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about like our attempt to defend David when it's the same book of the Bible, First and Second Samuel, that says that he's a man after God's own heart, that tells us that he murdered Bathsheba's husband at a minimum, mm. right? Which should prepare us yeah. to be able to see him doing all sorts of horrible things. And also, you know, uh, there's all sorts of things in First and Second Samuel that David does poorly. He doesn't successfully yeah. um, bring justice for uh, Tamar in, in a situation of sexual mm. violence just a couple chapters later. So it's interesting that while we have the need to sort of whitewash the history, mm. it's the history that 
the Bible gives us that remains unwhitewashed, you know, that's very kind of putting it in our face. Like you said, that, that God does do some things, some wonderful things to David, but there's also these deep, serious failings. Mm. How did you, how did you, did you come to the conclusion? Do you think that it's appropriate to say that David rapes Bathsheba? How would you describe that? And how did you go about thinking about that, moving past that initial kind of resistance to whatever you landed Mm. on in the course of your study? Yeah, so I'll very comfortably now say I think Mm. David raped Bathsheba for sure. I know in my wrestling with that, um, because again, in my English translation, it doesn't say rape, Mm. you know, so I was like, well, why why didn't they if it was? And (laughs) went through some rabbit holes and Deuteronomy law and all these things. Was like, what what was their understanding of rape back then? Mm. And, you know, trying to figure that all out. And where I kind of landed was I felt like, and it's hard to know because, again, it's psychological gaps. We don't know. Did did she go willingly? Did she kick and scream? Mm. We don't know. But I wondered, and it's almost a theory I have, if she's a victim of power rape, mm. like what we understand in our Western culture, that just because someone doesn't resist doesn't mean it's consent in a way because there's this whole psychological aspect you know we need to think of the powerful position that David Mm, was in mm. David was the king you know if she did not come at his request you know he could have had her murdered you know killed you know he could have um there's a strong power dynamic so she may not have felt the ability to say no she might have felt the need to go through with this so that was even my questionings around it. Like, is this in Bible? Um, do we have an account of that's not a violent sexual rape, yes. but far more this idea of power rape? Is, could this be what it is? Yeah, it's interesting because it does seem to me that in the story with Tamar, you do have a depiction mm-hmm. of of kind of forceful, physical, overpowering sexual violence. Mm. But the point that you're raising is the text in about David and Bathsheba is silent about Bathsheba, but it's clear mm. that David is extremely powerful, um, that he's the one who carries the blame. And you're right, the parable describes the lamb as as just taken, right? As and that that also mm. seems the parable is all about the abuse of power in some ways as well. And yeah, I haven't really thought about this before until we're talking about it. But I mean, Uriah is one of David's like strong fighters. And within this Mm. story, David gives Joab, the commander of his army, the command to functionally murder Uriah. And we don't know if Joab, like, as far as we get, Joab, as far as we know, has no reason to want to do that. But he doesn't. Right. So David's power working through other people as well um, is really on display. So I think, yeah, I think it's pretty compelling your point that from our perspective, our awareness of power Mm. and how that affects consent, um, we would call what David does rape, right? And um, that's very sobering to think about Mm. for those of us who, you know, who've grown up in the church and have heard this taught as a, as sort of a consensual, affair to think actually this is abusive is what this is you know yeah how do you connect 
that kind of exegesis, the interpretation of that text that you're doing. And I think it's really interesting, mm -hmm. Joy, what you're doing is you're not just interpreting the text on its own terms. You're also asking, how have other people interpreted this text? Because obviously mm -hmm. it's a very famous story. Lots of people have interpreted it. Um, how do you uh, think about the way this text has been interpreted in dialogue with your concerns about purity culture? Like bring those two conversations together for us. A bit. Oh, <laughs> so how it has been mm -hmm. is, oh, like there's so many things I could say, but I think initially for me, I realized as someone who's, you know, been through some sexual assault and heard mm -hmm. only that this is a consensual relationship. When I first heard that it was an assault, there was this, why have I never heard mm. this before? And I didn't realize that I connected this period of culture of her making this great man stumble. Mm. It's almost how I narrated it, that she made the king, that he, you know, his beginning of a stumble is he just saw this beautiful mm. woman, you know, and it's her body that was that fuel to mm. the fire that just pushed him over the edge, you know, that, and that she was part of mm. this. That when I heard it as this was a woman going about, you know, the rituals that she had to do, abiding the Lord, just going about her everyday life, mm. she just happens to be at the wrong place mm. at the wrong time and is assaulted. Yeah. Man, it was a different yeah. And then to see how God puts the blame on David, not her. Yes. It's really a comforting story of women of assault. I think it's actually really beautiful. Mm. And it was crazy to me how the story changed for me. It's a story that I didn't like and I didn't really like engaging mm. with because it was like, you know, this is, you know, another story of women making men mm. fall. That it's actually not. It's not that. And I I was in some ways angry that I never heard that growing yeah. up. You know, that it, it, a story that I've grown to absolutely love and adore mm. was a story I really didn't like growing up. Do you think that the problematic assumptions associated with purity culture actually cause people to fill in those gaps in that problematic direction? Like, is it because we've been taught that, you know, women are a threat to men's purity, for instance, that we then fill mm. in these gaps about David and Bathsheba? in precisely this way that Bathsheba threatened David's purity and he falls. Like is, is, are those things connected? Yeah, I think this, I think so. I think if you're being taught these ideas of like women's, you know, bodies being the thing and that women being responsible for male purity. And like, if you're coming with this lens, cause we come to scripture yes. with lenses, you know, it's what we do. We have yes. our biases. So if you're hearing these things and then you read something like this with so many psychological gaps, yes. you're going to fill it in with what you've heard, yes. you know, with what we've been talked about, uh, what we've heard other people say around sexual purity. Yeah. And it seems reasonable when you first read it, you yes. know, she's bathing and all of that, you know, we don't get this word of rape. So it seems fair to mm. rationalize it. Um, you know, yes, I think it's a hundred percent connected. You know, for me, right? Like, I at the end of the day, I'm like a Bible person, right? Like, I'm <laughs> I'm that kind of evangelical. You know, I love Scripture, and mm. so you know, 
oftentimes when you're evaluating these these debates in society, you know, the Christian community, how do we talk about sexual purity? Well, how do we talk about um, these issues? Well, how do you talk about lust? Well, that sort of thing. You know, if when, when you tell me, Hey, Michael, you can see that you've misread this biblical text because of this problematic idea that really makes me sit up and notice like, Oh my goodness, we have actually misread David and Bathsheba, because our some of our teaching teaches us to blame the victim, we've actually blamed mm. the victim in a text that is telling us that we shouldn't blame the victim. We should blame David because yeah. that's who the text blames, you know? That's really um, powerful and also scary. Um, mm. So tell me a bit about what you think this means for the church. Like what should we do uh, with the kind of – interpretation that you're seeing with what it reveals about purity culture, what, what's sort of the, so what, um, practically for Christians today? Mm. I mean, I would love to hear a sermon where someone's bold enough to say that David raped Mm. Bathsheba. Mm. I would love to hear that. Mm. But also I think it's recognizing that whatever we talk about a text Mm. as well is think about it with the lens of what would the women in the room who have been sexually Mm. abused here I think it's really important because the really horrific truth the last statistic I read is one in four Mm. women have been sexually abused in New Zealand so when you're looking at your congregation even if you're four women you're bound to have one who that is their story And I think the reality is, you know, the church, you know, you may not have been the one standing in a pulpit giving them these purity culture teachings. Wonderful. Great. But they're still getting passed around. And that's the the other saddening truth is the amount of people I've talked to, you know, it may not have been from the church that they've received it, you know, the church they go to on a Sunday, but it might be their friend, their aunt, their uncle, a book that they've just picked up, that they're still getting these teachings. So I think there needs to be an intentionality of deconstructing and speaking against, not being silent on this Mm. topic. And whenever you're speaking on anything to do with, you know, sex or any purity culture, have that lens of what would the woman who have been sexually abused in the room hear and be really careful around the language you're using around that and making sure they know that they're not to blame. Yeah. I think that's really important. I love those two things you said. I mean, on the one hand, what I'm hearing you say is that if we get the story of David and Bathsheba right, we get a text where a woman is a victim and is not mm. blamed. Bathsheba doesn't bring mm. down King David. King David brings down King David. He is responsible, yeah. right? And so we have actually a text that wants to say to victims, uh, you're victims, right? You're not, mm. you're not responsible. Um, it's, it's not your fault, but we've got to be careful because these problematic teachings have actually led us to teach this text as if it was Bathsheba's fault. And therefore maybe if you're the victim in the room, maybe you've heard it's your fault too. And I just think that's such a tragedy. So I, I I really appreciate what you're saying about David and Bathsheba's mm-hmm. text in particular and the way this text can really be life-giving if we let it. 
But I also think that's mm. a great a great word uh, for all of us to be thinking. There are going to be abuse survivors in the room. So how do we mm. talk about that? You know, I think about purity culture, the damaged goods idea. You know, that lands mm. really differently for a victim. You know, I mean, yeah. And I just think about all the all the you know places in the Bible where it talks about purity. Surely the biblical authors were aware of those dynamics, so we can't be mm. unaware of them or ignore them or overlook them. Mm. So uh, you started out saying, I want to think about how to talk about sexual purity in a way that's biblical, that's faithful, that's true. Um, and then you moved into, I just got to pull out the weeds for a bit, you know, I got to clear the soil. Where do you think you're going next with this, this, the, these ideas, this research, this thinking? Um, have you thought about any ideas for yourself going forward as you continue to process these issues? Or the answer can be no, uh. you know? I, I am recruiting uh, you. So I, I am recruiting you to Carrie's master's program on air live. Yeah, but not yeah. only that, you know. <laughs> um, definitely want to do my master's yes. on this topic. Right. Um, you've won me over. But yeah, I think I so badly want to get to the point that we can just have healthy sexual purity. That's the mm. dream. You know, I'd love to be able to talk, know and resource and teach churches actually this is how we can talk about sex in mm. a healthy way mm. that's not blaming one you know blaming all the mm. women or placing responsibility where it doesn't belong mm. here's a really robust theology around it I would love to jump there and I think it's more pulling out mm. of the weeds so you know like even you talked about the damaged goods like that would be my next mm. one you know I really felt when I went to this there was this wrestle for me of do I go down the damaged goods mm. route or do I do this you know woman being responsible for male purity route and I started I felt the need to start with the responsibility yeah. Yeah. and I felt from there I could then go into this idea of damaged mm. goods and what does that mean? Where where do we get this idea, you know, that even our purity lies in our virginity, not in Christ? I don't even know where that's yeah. come from yeah. because our purity should be in Christ alone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to do more research in that and doing more of that deconstructive yeah. work because I think it really needs to be done. And I think it's just resourcing churches as well and how to talk about it because I think it's a topic that's very overwhelming, yes. you know, and people get uncomfortable when you start talking about sex yes. as well so some people just <laughs> yeah that's right go the silent yeah, route that's right. <laughs> you know you don't want to ruffle too many yeah. feathers by starting talking about yeah. sex but i think we need to talk yeah. about it and we need to actually learn how to do that now. i i just truly believe that you know there is a song of songs chapter in your future work one day joy because I mean, we Christians ought to be able to talk about the goodness and the joy of sex since we have a whole book of the Bible dedicated to that topic. But I appreciate your point. There, there's still this pulling out the weeds to be done. And man, I just, I, I commend you for your work. I think it's really important. I've told you this before, but you know, as a father with two boys and two girls growing up in the world that we live in, and as somebody deeply committed to the idea that what God says about, you know, God's design for sexuality is good for us and that, you know, whatever that, that, that biblical purity is, it's good for us. It's part of our discipleship. And yet, man, we have really gotten this wrong so often. And as you've been pointing out to us, um, it's often people who've already been victimized who suffer the most from our bad theology. So 
Joy Sweeney, just want to thank you for being on the podcast today um, and for sharing your research and for calling us to listen to scripture well, to listen to victims well, and to move in a more faithful direction as we think about this important topic of sexual purity. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me.